You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We'll start with verse 20, John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to, the, to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. For now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. <clears throat> Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. 
I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn, will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Let's pray. We stand under the authority of your word, Lord. We ask that your spirit would come. That having eyes we would see and having ears we would hear. Having hearts we would be able to perceive and receive the fullness of your truth. We thank you that as we came to know you, the veil has lifted and your word has become alive. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus who's revealed you, Holy Father. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for you're his agent on the earth today. Give us your presence that these moments would count for eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I felt like we just needed to read the whole thing. But I want to jump down to verse 26. The context of this is that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And now the, the intellectuals of the day the Greeks and all their Greek wonderful intellectual knowledge has come to Jesus. Jesus has registered in his popularity to even cross over. He's crossed over. He's not just ministering to the church. He's crossed over into the secular world. And now they're coming to him. And it's in this context that, you know, I think Andrew and Philip, they're kind of saying, wow, this is big doings, you know. All the PhDs are coming to talk to Jesus. This is pretty cool. And as, the, as they're coming, Jesus isn't impressed. You notice that he, he, he stops right there and he doesn't address uh, the Greeks, but he, he's talking to his disciples. And, and this is what he says. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Wow. The first thing as as believers, when our spirit gets born again, it's like we've got this incredible reality that we never had before. There is an opportunity to get to know God that we never knew. We could know about God. We could get facts and figures. We could memorize scriptures. We could know things about the Bible. We could be taught things. That's why you can be taught in church for years and years and years and never be spiritually birthed. Because when you're born again, your spirit becomes alive. It gets quickened. 
And that becomes the very beachhead of the kingdom of God in your life. This is the place where the Father enters, and from there he moves from your spirit into your heart. Ooh. That's why when he knocks on the door, we say, hello? No, we just know it's Jesus. When he knocks, we recognize his knock, and we open the door, and he comes in. And we just welcome him into our heart. Why? Because the heart is how we get down to the soul. And if we're ever going to get all that crud of generational sin that goes all the way back to Adam and then has a specific history in your family line coming down from your father and coming down from your mother and then all the traumas and all the wounds that you've experienced, how evil has personally touched your life, that's all kind of stored up in the soul. And the heart is the key transition from your spirit to your soul. So if you're going to to get a revelation of how wonderful he is, it starts with your spirit and then you open your heart. Now, I think we've said something about the heart once or twice around here, haven't we? We've looked at that for 14 years. And as a result of looking at that, we've opened the valve that leads to our soul so that all the different ways that the evil has tried to corrupt our soul, how he's tried to twist it, is now have an opportunity as the spirit flows through our spirit, through our heart, into our soul, there's an opportunity for life. There's an opportunity for transformation. And I think that's why we, when we read Romans 6 and 7 and, and we We look at these things that talk about us as being overcomers and all this kind of stuff, and we're triumphant in Christ, and we're ready to go out and and take over the world for Jesus and everything. And then the enemy whispers one little thing. It activates something in our soul, and all of a sudden it's such a worm as I, and we tuck back into our little turtle shell, and we hide. One moment we're ferocious as the lion, The next moment, we're scared as could be, and we shrink back. That's because we've got to allow our souls to be healed. And I think that's one of the reasons why I just love this passage of Scripture. I think Jesus is touching on so many different aspects. First of all, as a believer, as a disciple, as one who believes Jesus, our first thing is to be with him. We're to follow him. Yet in American Christianity, it's like, hey, Jesus, let's go this way. And we want Jesus to follow us. Come on, Jesus, I want to go over here. Instead of, okay, Lord, I'm following after you. Here's my weekly routine, Lord. What adjustments do you want to make? Where are you leading and where are you not leading? Where do I need to make some course corrections? How do I need to know that I am following you? and not just what I think is what Jesus would do. That behooves us to really have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Because we can have a relationship uh, kind of in, in Christianity that's based on principle, and we know from Scripture that the Scripture has all of these things that it says, therefore we can deduct this principle, and now we can live our life according to this principle. Anybody awake? You you catch that? There's a difference between living on good principles 
and living in relationship. Now, I'm not down on principles. Thank God for all the wonderful people who have gifts and study and bring it out, and they show us some really divine principles, some things that, man, you can hang your hat on. They're really good, but they're no substitute for relationship. They're no substitute for you having that daily conversation with the Holy Spirit, who is God's emissary, who's here to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus said and taught. He's here to show us Jesus. And why was Jesus here? Destroy the works of the devil and to reveal the Father. Those are two main things. And so we, we realize he's there. So as the Holy Spirit's revealing Jesus, Jesus revealing the Father, we get to be part of the community of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we join that as the body of Christ. Whoever follows me is where I am. If you're my disciple, you're going to follow me. And if you're following me, guess what? You're going to be where I am. <clears throat> now that's just a little bit different twist. Sometimes you've got to look at, at the frame of reference where something's coming from. Because some of us have been around kind of uh, uh, the kind of language that says, wherever I go, the presence of God is. Is that true? It absolutely is true, because he lives in you. So wherever you go, he's there. But how much doubly wonderful it is, is if he says, I want you to go over here, he's in here, and you go to where he is, to where he's told you to go. It's almost like you get a double whammy at that point. You bring the presence within, but you're also in the place and the location that he's called you to be, and there is no better place on the planet than to be where he's called you to be. Now, that's not just for a lifelong calling. You know, that, that's not like saying, you know, God has called me to Fort Wayne, so I've got to go to Fort Wayne, since our Fort Wayne contingency is here today. You know, so <clears throat> I'm where I'm supposed to be in Fort Wayne. But it gets more specific than that. It's where am I where I'm supposed to be and where am I supposed to be in this moment? Now, this sounds like it could just really scramble your brains trying to figure this out, and you could become paranoid. You could just be obsessive-compulsive every moment. Am I, am I where Jesus wants me? Have I, have I gone to the right place? Oh, I think I'm two steps off. Oh, yeah, there it is. No, it's not about neurosis. It's not about becoming OCD. It's about becoming in relationship with him where we learn how to flow with him, where he's leading us. And so when we're flowing this way and we feel like, okay, I think I'm supposed to flow back this way. It's something that is, that is live and it's happening in the moment that helps us to know where we're supposed to be. And there's no place I'd rather be than in his presence. That's why the worship team could have just went on for eternity and I would have been one happy camper because that's his presence. But as his presence lifts off the worship and moves to the next thing, then I want to be where his presence is. I want to have that relationship that when he says, let's flow this way, the Holy Spirit moves through flows. He, he usually doesn't say, 
I want you to go 32 degrees latitude and 41 degree longitude, and, and, you know, and so we're supposed to get our, our coordinates and, and go. And my sense in my walk is it's more of a flow. And as you're flowing with the Spirit and as you're flowing in your relationship with the Lord, you just find that you're, you're, you show up at the places where he wants you to be in that moment, in that spot for others who are there, who need what you have. So I love that part. And then my Father will honor the one who serves me. Do you love it when the Father honors you? I mean, that is just so amazing when, when you feel the pleasure of your Father. Can you imagine what Jesus experienced as he comes out of the baptismal Jordan and, and he hears the Holy Spirit falls, hears the voice, you are my son, I love you, and I am so proud and pleased with you. And you feel the pleasure, the honor of the Father. There's nothing like it. It comes from just simply walking and flowing and obeying what he says and where he leads and doing what he does. It's so much fun. So then Jesus is there and he says, Father, glorify your name. He's not here for the praises of men. He's here for the praises of God. He's here for his Father's purpose. He's not doing anything on his own. He's not speaking anything on his own. He's here as an emissary of the Father, his representative to earth, to bring his kingdom back. I love this. And he says, uh, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Oh. I don't know if you guys get this, but it is just so much fun to think the devil's going to get a bloody nose. You know, it's just, you know, black eye. He, he's, he's been defeated. He's been defeated at the cross the power of the resurrection. He's paraded the captives. All that the kingdom of darkness has tried to do is now under the foot of Jesus. And we're here to, to be his enforcers, huh? to be the police system of just seeing every captive free, seeing every work of the devil destroyed, destroyed, just like Jesus came. So when you think of anything that's going on in your life and you, you, you kind of sense that it's more attached to the kingdom of darkness than the kingdom of light, just proclaim Jesus' power to destroy it and watch it die. Let's see destruction of everything, whether it's our thoughts, whether it's our, our anxieties, whether it's our, our fears, whatever. Just seeing those things come under the lordship of Jesus because Jesus came to destroy the prince of this world. He has no claim to you. He has no right to your body, to your soul, to your spirit. He has no right to you at all. He says, but when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And here they're talking about how Jesus is going to die on the cross showing the kind of death he's done. But this is the Old Testament where the serpent goes on the pole and as it's lifted up, all the Israelites that look to it, they're healed. And the, 
and the pestilence, the curse, is broken. And it's like, oh, yes. We need to look to the cross. We need to look to Jesus. We need to look to, the, to him anytime there's anything that the enemy is using against us to restrict our liberty, to restrict our sense of worth, value, and significance, to, to restrict our understanding of what it means to be a son and a daughter of the Most High. When anything comes like that, that's when we need to look to the cross and realize Jesus is lifted up so that all curses, every sickness and disease, everything must bow to his lordship because he has paid the supreme price to destroy evil on planet earth. I love that. Come on, Jesus. So then he talks about walking in the light while you still have it. You know, it's almost like every time Jesus is giving something that is just profound and life-giving, it's like the people then ask a question and divert. And it was like, if I was there, I would probably want to go up in Christian love and just slap them and tell them to shut up because Jesus is talking and I came to hear him, not you. <sighs> and they keep diverting. And, 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 and so here he goes and now, now he goes off on this. But he, he, he's reminding us, especially back then historically, walk in the light while you have the light. I think that's a great principle. That's a great principle. But let's take it beyond principle to relationship. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we claim to walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. First John. So the whole way in which we really sense a, a loving connection and community with the Father is by walking in the light. When you have light, walk in it. When you don't have light, cry out for light. When everything's dark and it's gray and it's... Just know that Jesus is the light of the world and that we can cry out for him to come and to illuminate and to bring his light so that we can walk in it and have fellowship with it. If, if light is, is part of his glory and glory is the manifestation of what happens whenever he is present, then basically we're just saying, Lord, right now, things appear to be a little dark in my life. I need your presence. I need your glory. I need your light. And as we enter into his light, we instantly come into that communion and that fellowship with him. So don't get deceived. The enemy constantly makes us think that because we made a bad choice and we went away and now there's shadows and there's darkness and, and everything's gray. And then the enemy says, well, you, you're where you chose to go. This is a result of the decision you made. You are in darkness and you will stay in darkness and there's nothing that can be done about it. Not true. Wherever you are, you cry out to the Lord for his presence. You cry out for his light. You cry out for his glory. He comes. He's not afraid like us. We get so wimpy at times. 
You know, we find out that there's a germ over here and we run over here because we don't want to catch a germ. You know, or we find out that, you know, it's, it's the whole thing, and I know I've said it many times, but in the natural realm, when you discover that somebody has leprosy or emotional leprosy or metaphorical leprosy, you know you're not supposed to get near them because leprosy is contagious. But in the kingdom of God, when Jesus comes around leprosy, he has no fear of leprosy jumping on him. When he touches leprosy, he's not unclean. The leper is made clean. And so the whole thing gets shifted when, when Christ is present when we're in his presence, we don't have to worry. And he's not worried in our darkest dark because a lot of times the enemy tries to play us until we feel like we've fouled ourselves out of the game. You know, it's like we know that it's the first quarter and we got two fouls, so the coach is going to pull us and we're going to have to sit the bench until the you know, second quarter. Or we get another one. Now he's got to pull us and we've got to set out till halftime. And now we get, and now we've got... Well, NBA, we got five fouls that take us out to the last quarter. And, and so we, 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 we think this is, but the enemy's trying to say, no, you've got five fouls and you're out of the game. Not true. If you are present here today, you are not fouled out of the game. Wherever you are, you can invite God to come and to rescue you. You can invite his presence to come and to manifest so you can be in the light because as soon as you are in the light because he's the light, we have fellowship. We become sons and daughters of light because he is our light. That's good preaching there. Keep it up, dude. Hmm. When you walk in the light, that's the moment that you can choose to put your trust in the light. You can't put your trust in the light until you're in the light. It's the nature of faith. A lot of times we can be told things and and our faith can begin to develop and we have faith that we believe something is true, but when we act on that faith and we find that it is true, then trust develops. Trust is higher than just faith. Faith is what it gets to move us into a relationship or move us into an action, but trust is what secures us in the midst of it. When we develop trust because we've found that he is faithful, that every time I'm over here in the darkest of dark and I cry out and he comes, I cry out because I believe he will. I have faith that he will. But as he does, I begin to build a trust in him. I trust that he has come. I trust that he will come. I trust that he will always come. And now the relationship moves from just one of faith to trust. He's been proven, and I trust. I trust in that. Can you think of something that you had to experience over and over and over before you started to trust it? Yeah. I remember when we were building houses 
And it was okay if we were just working on a one story and we're going to do the overhang on the story. And we would take just 16 penny nails and drive them into these wall jacks that then we would put the two by 12s on that would become our, 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 our scaffold. And, and so we'd walk out there and we'd work on it. And I remember the first time I'm going, is this going to hold? I mean, we just got four nails in here. Is this really going to hold? I was a lot thinner back then, but I was still worried about whether it would hold. But after house, after house, after house, I trusted. I trusted those things were, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think, is this going to hold? I just said, how high up do I want it? Where do I want to put it? Put it and let's go. That's the way it is in the kingdom. That's the way it is in the spirit. That is the way with faith and trust in your relationship as you walk this out. Sometimes the Lord really invites us into some difficult areas because he knows we need to know that he's going to show up in that area. We know that he shows up when we're winning. Matter of fact, he wants to take some of the glory. He wants us to see that he always shows up whatever the situation is. And then when we found him to show up here and we found him to show up there, we need to learn that he will always show up wherever we are. Oh, that's so good. It builds our trust, our faith. When that happens, it's like our heart just becomes more open to his presence. And the more open our heart is, the more the spirit can flow through our heart and address the issues inside our soul. As twisted and as, as crazy and chaotic as those can be, he can then have access and bring healing and order to our souls because he wants all of us. <clears throat> well, here they are. They're seeing miracles and they don't believe. Can you imagine that? You know, we, I read from uh, uh, in his presence and you know, like to be there when the miracles were taking place and all this. And these, these people that saw all these but still didn't believe? Even Jesus, when he's talking to the Jews, he says, well, if you don't believe my words, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So there's something about what Jesus did that should activate something in us to cause us to believe in who he is because of what he did. And so now as, as we see it, there are those that have seen what he did but still refuse to believe. Ah, oh, breaks my heart. And I've seen that. Some people just don't believe. And it's like, when you're around someone that doesn't get it, don't try to debate. Don't try to use logic. Don't go the intellectual approach and try to reason with them. Pray for their spirit. The place of breakthrough for every one of us is at a spirit level. And when our spirit gets activated by the Holy Spirit, when our spirit comes into submission to the God who is spirit, then we have a place to begin to develop our belief in him. It won't be on necessarily miracles unless our spirit has been activated and then, oh, don't we love miracles? Love to see the miracles. It says that many leave, or, or, and then it goes into Isaiah, and 
we're not going to look at that today, but that's wonderful stuff. It said, many leaders believed, but did not confess their faith. Whoa. It's, it's like, huh? The way the Gospels use the word believe is just amazing to me. It, I, I think it probably has so many different nuances you know, because as, as the Great Commission is given by Jesus and he's on the mount and as he's there and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and, and he gives them the commission to go and make disciples and, and it said, and there were some there who still didn't believe. And I'm thinking, who's there? Just the disciples? Was there others? How could they not believe? Mm. So here... There is an association between believing and confessing your faith. Uh, the last Sunday that we had baptism, two Sundays ago, two Sundays ago we had baptism. Lauren got baptized. We love Lauren. The gentleman that used the baptistry afterwards, uh, I was so blessed. I loved his language. He had them, and I'm going to steal it. Next time we have a baptism, you're going to see this. It was so good. I just loved it. He had them, as they're in the baptism waters, they were confessing Jesus. It was so powerful. You know, my spirit was just doing backflips. I just loved it. I thought, oh, that is so good. That is so good. Because if you believe and you don't confess... I don't know what happens to you. Here they are leaders, and they did not confess. And, and, and we find out what's, what's going on. They're afraid they're going to get put out of the church, the Jewish synagogue of the day. They were going to lose their place in the religious structure if they confessed faith in Jesus. And then it goes further to expand because they love the praise of men <laughs> more than the praise of God. Oh my. Now we, none of us would do that. No. We're at the conference and I'm talking to Deb and I'm at the conference down at the Greenwood Vineyard where she and I attended there for three and a half years and the first two years, you know, they asked if I wanted to minister any and I said, No. I didn't want anything to do with ministry. We were just there getting healed and doing all the, the things that, you know, we still love the Lord, but, you know, we'd, we'd gone through quite a bit. So I did all sorts of things down there. I did marriage seminars in the last year that we were there. You know, did all sorts of ministry, spoke on the weekend. Had to say the same sermon five times on a weekend. It's just like, oh my stars, this is crazy. And it was on a time, it was on a time constraint. You know, I had a box, and if I got out of the box, we couldn't sing the last song. And a couple times when I was preaching, we didn't get to sing the last song. Can you, you don't believe that. I know you don't believe that. <clears throat> so we're down there, and I've been mentoring several of the young leaders down there just meeting them for lunch and breakfast and pouring into their lives. They come and meet in the office, and we pour in. And those guys are talking about me to the thing. And it was embarrassing, almost. I'm walking down the hall, and somebody sees 
my name tag. You're Rick Francis? Oh. I've heard so much about you. I'm going. Okay. Then there's Rick Francis. That's Rick Francis? I'll be happy. And I get, I, I'm having like a dozen young people gather around me, and it's like I'm a rock star. And I'm thinking, wow. And then I get back to my scripture, the praise of men rather than the praise of God. I thought, oh, I can see where this is pretty heady stuff, man. They think I'm hot down there. <laughs> you can go down and straighten them out. <laughs> Let them know what the truth is. It's just like, it was, I said, Deb, it was embarrassing. It was almost embarrassing the way they came up to me. And it's like, now I understand some of you want to correct me after the service and say, Rick, the Lord's honoring you and you need to just be gracious and receive the honor. I was, I was, absolutely. I'm not saying I didn't like it. I liked it. Yeah. I could have done one of those Johnny Carson things, you know, where he's... Yeah. And I was like, okay. But sometimes when you, when you rather have the praise of men over the praise of God, oh, they would not confess their faith. So then Jesus goes on in light of this, and he talks about condemnation and judgment. He didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. So don't get confused about Jesus' attitude. He's not here to judge anyone. What he says is that he doesn't even speak his own words. He speaks his father's words. And when it comes to those who do not accept his words and those who reject him, the one that will condemn them is the very words that they heard. It's not God. It's not Jesus. It's the word of God that has come forth that they refuse to receive and accept. They reject the person of Jesus they will not accept his words, and as a result, at the last day, it will be the very words. And Jesus wants to make it very clear. Why? It's not just because I said them. It's because what I said was what the Father told me to say. Those words came not just from me. They came from my Father. They came from heaven to earth. And when you reject the words that come from heaven to earth, those are the words that will condemn you. I, blows me away. It's not like God ever sends anybody to hell. It's what we do with the words of life. Because Jesus says, my Father's words bring eternal life. The only way to get eternal life is by receiving the living words of God that has come through Jesus, that has come to us. When we receive those, we are receiving eternal life. If you reject those, guess what? You've rejected eternal life. Whoa. Now I know for everybody with the politically correct mindset, gets nervous when we say Jesus is the only way to the Father. <sighs> but that's what this says. 
And Jesus isn't really worried whether you judge him as being politically incorrect. He's giving us words that lead to eternal life. And the only way that we have eternal life is when we receive those words that have been spoken by him. Okay? Is that enough? Yeah, I guess it is. I didn't even look at the clock because I was having too much fun. Mm. His command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just ask your blessing upon this scattering of exhortations from John 12. Bring life to us. It's our confession that your word is life eternal and we receive your words. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would release a new passion and hunger for the written word and that it wouldn't just stop with the written word, but it would go to the living word, that we would see the combination of the written word and the spirit of the living God bringing transformation and change and victory in this reality because you love the world so much you sent your only begotten son who is the word we receive you Jesus Amen Thanks for listening to this week's podcast To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.